Welcome to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. So we all love a good moan, right? Like I love a good ranting session. I, I think it just helped me get the raw emotions out. I don't feel like I'm centering myself. And so as a psychologist, I love to hear all the raw emotions and the disorganized thought because I get to see the person at the other end of it. I get to see what they're packing it about. I get to see them in their true form in that moment, right? And then then we can start slowing it down, making a sense of what it is that they want, what they can do about it. So we all have things that bother us, things that we we complain about, things that we um, have issues with. And for the most part, what we really want when we're doing all that is that we want to be heard, we want to be understood by other people, and we all need a safe space in which we can do that. So you, as HR people leaders, have things that bother you at work, and so do your employees as well. So complaining, this is the act of expressing dissatisfaction or airing grievances, is an essential and often unavoidable aspect of communication um, in the workplace. So complaints generally tend to be viewed negatively um, and can be perceived as whining when the complainer doesn't propose a clear solution. We can see how frustrating that could be. But employee complaints are inevitable aspects of workplace. They reflect the diverse nature of people working together. And addressing these concerns quickly and effectively is crucial for maintaining a healthy workplace environment and ensuring that our employees are happy and satisfied at work. Now, when complaints go on and on and on without resolution, it can impact the whole team and a whole organization and lead to toxicity within the workplace. When complaints are handled well, however, it can help manage risk. We can see early red flags and early signs of issues coming up. We can uncover opportunities for growth, for change, and even boost work relationship, morale, and well-being. When employees believe their manager doesn't care about them, or care about what they believe or think or feel, minimizes or ignores valid concerns. It can increase stress, it can decrease engagement, and it can activate employee turnover. So guess, guess what your secret weapon is to avoid that decreased engagement and increased employee turnover. Yeah, it's your line managers. It is critical that they know how to manage the complaints from their teams. Too often we get called in because managers aren't dealing with their employees' concerns properly. They aren't addressing the feelings behind them or even putting in practical solutions to help address some of the challenges that your employees are facing. That can be very problematic. So in this episode, we're going to explore the various types of employee complaints and some strategies that your managers should know for how to handle them. Right. So we've come up with our list, our top five reasons that we get called in 
like the Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. No, Aurora, obviously. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. The... You see how I just psychologically that's the response. I know, I know. It's like Pavlov's response. Seriously. No, what is the Aurora? Who are you going to call Aurora? Ghostbusters. <laughs> These are the top five reasons we get called in to solve um, issues within either teams mm-hmm. or or departments and sometimes even whole companies, right? Yeah. Also, when we deliver leadership training, these are also the five uh, things that managers complain about not knowing how to manage or deal with well. Mm. Yeah. Communication, communication. Let me say it one more time. Communication, right? 99% of problems between people is caused by misunderstanding, uh, lack of clear communication, perceived favoritism, bias, discrimination, all of that kind of stuff. The nebulous stuff that occurs when one person tries to get across their point to another mm. and is misunderstood, right? There's, and, and maybe it's bias because this is the way I operate. You know, everybody knows I've got ADHD and, um, Also, I find it very, very difficult to be anything less than this. But open communication is the secret. Encourage open communication channels. Make it something that is a priority for your line managers and that they are comfortable and capable of doing so that they have opportunities to actively listen that's not yeah mm -hmm, uh i I really need to get this stuff done (laughs) could you just please leave but Mm. to actively listen in a comfortable environment even if they're thinking i cannot believe this is what i have to do but so long as they're doing it they need to have regular meetings one-to-ones structured that aren't about, have you done this? Yes. Have you done that? No. Mm-hmm. But actually about, hey, so uh, what's going on? Tell me. Definitely. That kind of one. <laughs> I was going to say, and that don't say my door is always open. Exactly. So rather put boundaries on the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm open for, uh, discussion, then you can talk to me about stuff during this time or during that time or what, whatever. Because you are putting boundaries in place, but it's actually very clear. So not when you say my door is always open. I hate that expression. We hate that expression. And then mean? the door isn't open. And then what people feel is, oh, okay, so can I not talk to you? You look busy and mm-hmm. all these things. And so it just, it's just easier to be clear on what you're, what you need. And it's okay when Managers aren't clear. We just have to know, oh, is there anything I can do better? And people usually say, do you mind just telling us when we can actually come talk to you or how we're going to have this conversation that we want to have? To be fair, it's it's much, this is me, I'm an organisation freak because I will forget if it's not booked in. Why don't all line managers have at least a fortnightly touch point booked in with everyone that they're direct reporting. They should, even if it's 15 to 20 minutes coffee chat, you should have that booked in 
some touch point with a more structured one-to-one book team on a monthly or bi-monthly basis. Yep. Simple. Then that's the opportunity for the person to, oh, could I just, mm, is it okay if I, and these things count, they really do. So make sure you've got those channels of communication. And then when you have them, you're going to have to help your line managers become, I wanted to say more human. And that sounds, I think that's harsh. Mm-hmm. I know managers are human, obviously, and they want to open up and things, but they are like I uh, we always talk about the squeeze middle right they're under a lot of pressure you're going to have to enable them to to feel comfortable and that they've got the time and the capacity and they understand why it's so important that they do this soft stuff yeah right so that's that's the number one communication issues, and the solution is formalize and organize and equip your line managers to have open channels of communication with every single one of their direct reports. When we do our training, we we include the structure for how this is going to happen, and it is formalized and stewarded and you can collate the data i mean it's such an important and i thought fundamental and basic tool but not everybody is doing this we know right so that's number one there's also the workload and stress uh, yeah. overwhelm inadequate resources this is going up and up and up where we're employees are having unrealistic expectations uh, uh, placed upon them. It's coming because companies are under pressure to cut costs. So they're cutting heads, but they're not able to cut targets. So employees are expected to do more with less. We can't really keep expecting massive increases in people's productivity if we're not listening to them when they're struggling. So how do our line managers do this? Well, workload assessments, prioritizing tasks, redistributing responsibilities. And it sounds like an obvious thing again, right, Obes? It sounds obvious. Obviously, you'll do that before you hand over some work. But often, again, the squeezed middle are so pressed themselves, they are just trying to get as much as they can done. Yeah. So you need to create this supportive work culture that, in, like I said, encourages open communication between line manager and employee and between colleagues and peers so that workload concerns can be openly discussed. Yeah. And then your line manager's responsibilities are to say, well, OK, well, these three are a priority. The other four aren't. Drop them. Mm. And also we talk about work. Load and stress is one of the top things that people that employees complain about and once a if a team member is already stressed out and then another one is stressed out they stop supporting each other 
Does that make sense to become this whole where they're gatekeeping their piece of work and they don't, the ability to be empathetic or the ability to say, I can help with that, they stop doing that. So, one of the being able to manage, conduct the assessment, like Ngodia mentioned, priorities and tasks, and then having conversations about how you distribute with the whole team in an open way means the people who have capability or um, availability to do certain work or capacity, the word. People who have capacity to do certain work who say, actually, I'll, I'll take that. I'll do it. Because you're still trying to run team morale. You're still trying to get people to support each other. Otherwise, you're just having this individual thing with each staff member when people are not, it's not cohesive. So that's one of the first things that usually go when a team is really stressed, really, with, especially with, with workload situation. They stop helping each other out, and it becomes like, a, who can help? Nobody put their hand up. I see this a, I see this a lot, a lot. And then you can tell it starts to breathe this weird um, sense of, you know, favoritism. Someone doesn't feel like, oh, they haven't got enough work. I've got all this stuff going on. Um, and that kind of just, mm. I don't like that feeling. It's one of the things that starts it off. I don't know why, but when it comes to workload being overwhelming or unrealistic expectations, your team just start to take it out on each other for some weird reason. And I just wanted to add that. Mm. And then uh, there's another one, which is a bit awkward, which is when it's your manager that's actually the problem. Mm. So when your employees are struggling because they are under poor leadership or they're not getting enough support or they don't feel um, that they're being treated fairly yeah. compared to others on the team. Mm. Well, what do you do? Obviously. You, you, well, not obviously. Well, to me, it is obvious, though. It's not obvious, leaders, You have to equip your line managers with the skills that they're going to need to manage people. Just because they're smart and hardworking and have done a brilliant job at XYZ does not mean that they should be managing a team. Yeah. Yeah. They're capable, potentially, but mm. it doesn't mean they should be put in charge of anybody until they know what they're doing. And if they have been put in charge of people without, then you can't let them just stay there unskilled, not trained. You have to prioritize them. Because after all, someone who's been promoted to do a job as senior or manage a team based on their technical skills, right? We're very awful. We can now go, oh, yeah, sorry, we made a mistake there. Off you go. <laughs> we take Sorry, that. we shouldn't have hired you in the first place because you have no people skills whatsoever. Yeah. I think that's unfair. I think that those are the people that you prioritize. Instead of almost cutting them off a little bit by thinking, oh, they're useless, you train them. You offer them support. You say why they need a training. And so we have things like 360-degree evaluation. A lot of companies do them. Um, do those. So that way they can sometimes do the fact that they they know they don't have self-awareness around their leadership style. Mm-hmm. So if you encourage that, that means that their team get to share their feedback on their leadership in, in confidence or whatever, and they get to see, oh, okay, so these are where my training needs will be. So that you're going to ensure ensuring that managers are approachable, that they are able to do the job of leading people, right? And then you're encouraging feedback from employees and people aren't just sitting there 
not saying anything, and then almost suffering in silence, really. And then the next time, as you as HR hear anything about it, it when they put in the grievance, <laughs> it's like that should not be the first time you hear about that, but it does happen. But when managers have issues around training, they should be given opportunity to to improve, mm. and they shouldn't be left to self improve themselves like you know they need to go and find their own training they need to watch training material they need to go and find some TED talk that shouldn't yes it's great if they do that but that shouldn't be left to them to figure this out that will be part of your job HR to be able to make sure for learning development as well to make sure that you provide the exact type of training that they will need to support their team much um better and effectively and empathetically as well. And the thing is, then you as HR also need to determine what does a good manager in my organisation look like? Because people will just be making it up. You, mm. you, Everybody likes to think they're a good person, right? Yeah. Well, most people, except for Donald Trump, like to think they're a good person. <laughs> I think even right? Donald Trump would think he's a good person. Oh, I don't know if he does I don't know if he cares. That's a good point. Like, would he ask if you're a good person? Would he say yes? I know we're digressing, but that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think he cares. Anyway, everyone likes to think they're a good person. Everybody likes to think they're doing a good job. Um, very few of us are comfortable admitting that we can't do it or we don't do it well. We don't recognise the signs of people being peed off with us or mm. being disengaged. We don't see that stuff. It's those around us who do. But your job as HR, as head of people, is to determine in this organization, this is how we get the best from our employees. This is the behavior that we expect to see. This is the management standard that I want to set. And then you help your line managers to operate to that standard and you hold them accountable when they don't yeah so it shouldn't be something that it shouldn't be like you say obi all the time that it's a lottery you you just happen mm. to get a good one because because she's really nice and she's she's just a person who goes above and beyond it yeah. should not be luck as to who your manager is you should be able to expect a minimum standard of your management yeah and I think that also even as, among managers can breed some sort of contempt where you have this manager who just somehow naturally gets it and it's almost favored by all others and people come to them and people feel like oh they're the best managers ever <laughs> mm-hmm. and somehow they figure this out um, or they probably have experience from a previous organization and you have all the managers thinking I'm sorry what am I shop <laughs> Right? Yeah. So, you know what I mean? I think it's still unfair. I think on that basis, you know, you have great managers who are leaders who who do well. Good for them. But I think other people should be given an opportunity to learn how to develop this skill. It's a skill set. Being a nice person is not a skill set. That's a personality. Pat yourself on the back for being a nice, lovely person. Good <laughs> for you. Um, but that's just nice. But that doesn't mean you have the skill set to manage a team. It means you're more likely to have people like you and come to you and talk to you. But it doesn't mean that you give them the right response <laughs> because you're a nice person. People more likely think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, she's lovely. She helped. We see that all the time. She's a lovely manager, great manager. They really help. What do they actually support you with? Um, 
they told me my dead dog with the open. I can come and talk to them. Mm-hmm. So you didn't go to EAP. Oh, I didn't know we had one. Mm. Okay, a skill is it's required. Which brings us to this next bit. And Guardian and I were thinking, hmm, is there anything to do with managers concerned? Lack of career development. So in Gaza, initially, we're like, well, this is usually HR issue that they have. But I still think managers have every opportunity to support their team around career development, for sure. Right? So the, the complaint might be around, I, I'm not growing. I'm not, how am I going to get to the next level? Um, what's the next role that I can do? What's the next, you know, so they already feel like they're unclear where the career path's going to go, mm-hmm. inadequate training. Now, some of it may not necessarily land on the manager directly, but I still think it's the manager's job to know what the pathway would look like. Mm-hmm. And they to be collaborating with either their bosses or with HR or whoever around what does that look like for my team to want to progress. Because the first place when we have one-to-one monthly conversations or quarterly development plan, obviously that will come up there, which is I want to progress how. So they may not be responsible for implementing mentorship program. I think that's an HR and a leadership thing to provide training and development opportunities for people to access. But I think it's important that managers ought to know what to have available so that they can advise and support their team to access those things. As opposed mm-hmm. to where I don't, oh, okay, you just work hard and see how it goes. And, and I was thinking about this and um, it really does touch on some of the crap that I went through in my last life let's call it that (laughs) when you as a line manager can't help with the career progression think about the frustration that that's going to leave an employee with so you really do need to be able to support your employees to move onwards and upwards that's part of your gift as a manager you should only succeed when your employees do um, so yeah, I, I do think it's important to, to, to be aware of what your, your employees ambitions are mm-hmm. and their desires for their career and how you can support that, but also what to do when it's not going to be met and how to have those sensitive conversations. Mm. I think that's, um, just as important and goes yeah. to open what communication is- tool, that, um, or, conversation that we were having earlier yeah actually that that gives me an idea it's so funny you talk about your previous life in mm. my previous life this was one of the issues blocked I found myself actually where I had a job uh, I was a senior practitioner at the time I remember 10 years ago because Zach in God's son Zach was just born 10 years ago and I had I wasn't felt like wasn't really necessarily progressing in terms of manager's position that I thought I'd be doing at that time. And so I thought, okay, I feel trapped here. Let me see if I can get a job elsewhere. So same organization, a different location. And I remember considering that location with Manchester because I'd come up and and had had Zach at the time. So it was almost like double thing. I had an interview plus there's a new baby. Um and I didn't get it was the exact same job I was doing in London in Manchester. I didn't get the job. And the feedback I was giving was, hey, you're not managing the team in what we expect you to be managing at this level. And when I went back to my, I was quite sad by that. Like, I didn't even get my own job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I went back to my senior manager and he, he said, this is my boss's boss, because she had had to give me permission for that interview. And he said, oh, how did it go? And I said, I didn't get it. And he said, I got to understand why you went for the same job you have. 
And I said, because I'm clearly not leading the team. I'm not doing part of the job I should be doing. And then she looked at it and she said, why are you not managing this team? I said, because I, I was told I didn't need to do that. Because my other, my li- direct line manager had a project she wanted me to focus on and only that. She wasn't thinking of my progression, right? It was my job to say, hey, I'm interested in this thing. It was also her job to meet me halfway and say, how can we make it work? But she had her own agenda. I was hired to deal with probation, which was it was awful thing going on there at the time. And so in a way, I was almost pigeonholed in that role. And the idea of progression did not come up at all. So we, it took my boss's boss to say, this is not right. And so we needed to address how I could do that within the confines of that role that I did have. Because that's what I mean by, yes, it was it's still a manager that ought to know how to maneuver and what they ought to do. But it cannot be blocking their own team members from progressing because the easiest way for them to leave. See, I was already looking to leave. And that was the question my boss's boss had to ask. Why are you trying to leave? And I said, because I can't progress here. And he said, what do you mean? And that's the conversation that I had to have for that situation to change. That's what I wanted to add to that there. Because it's an important thing. Yes, it may not be direct control that your line managers might have, but they do have some control and they can support it and they can encourage as opposed to where you have managers blocking people because, well, they just need them to do a particular piece of work and a piece of job. And all of this stuff, all of this stuff feeds into our fifth and final top um, kind of employee complaint. And that's the ones around culture and morale, the atmosphere and vibe yeah look at the big one yeah there's a the word toxic comes up a lot my i've got a 14 nearly 15 year old it comes up all the time in our house but it comes up in the workplace too toxic workplace culture and lack of team spirit or low team morale it's that thing it's almost unquantifiable you can't really you, you certainly can't point to it you can only point to evidence of it, right? Mm. You can see when it's happening, but you can't say um, necessarily what it looks like. But mm. you know when you're in a place which just the vibe is off. Mm. And it also is insidious. That's why. It doesn't just happen with one incident. It's a series of incidents, a series of um, scenarios that then when you look back at it, goes, oh, wow, that's what that is. But when it's happening, it's not... It doesn't, you know, one incident doesn't make a toxic place, basically, no. right? So it's a series. That's why it's so insidious. You don't get to see it. It's only later you think, oh, my God, that's what happened. It, that incident three months ago had created this chain of events that now created this bigger incident we're dealing with. So they get the big one, but it's also an everybody job. I suppose it's just manager. So it's a manager job. It's HR job. It's a senior leadership job. It's the board. It's everybody's job here. But at HR... You're leading the charge because you are running people function. And mm. uh, and that's one of the things. So you, you have to be able to foster a positive work culture, a psychological safety. We say it all the time. But how do you do that? What are the things that you can do at HR? What are the things that your manager ought to be doing to make sure that you're reducing any toxicity that is building, that you are also increasing the level of psychological safety in the workspace where people can say what they want to say and mean what they say. They can work hard. They can give their best work 
And rewarded um, for and it. Exactly, and be rewarded for it. And a lot of that can be done without team building, exercise, training, activities, recognition, program, even within team. So you don't have to have this big one that HR could do. The manager can learn how they can reward their team as a small team, as a small, you know, some people put like a, what they call this thing, like a short um, competition thing that they do within a team or how they support each other again open communication just like we started off with talking about mm. these are important things that help to address some of those concerns addressing cultural issues promptly things like race and things that are hard to come have conversations about sometimes are important mm. but I don't expect if you don't have the skill set go and hire in right so those kind of conversations that are happening you I don't expect HR, if it's not your expertise, you didn't go to school to learn how to have to uh, manage conflict resolution to be doing that or to be having conversations about racial equity to be doing that. You get people who are qualified to do it, to come and do it on your behalf and to involve all employees in the initiative to improve the morale. It's everybody's responsibility, but you, HR, are leading the charge, and the next rung of the ladder are also the managers who are also leading the charge within their respective teams and functions. Mm. So, to summarise, your line managers have an integral role in how they can promote uh, a positive workplace culture, um, which includes this open communication and a supportive environment for your employees, all of your employees to thrive. Managing these complaints that employees have is a key part of that. It's it's what is required to create a positive work environment and to retain a motivated workforce. And by understanding the different types of complaints and how those can be appropriately handled, Then you can build trust, enhance communication and create the kind of place where everybody wants to show up and do a great job. By regularly reviewing and updating all your policies and procedures to make sure they're still fit for purpose, you can ensure a proactive approach to addressing your employees' concerns and promoting a thriving workplace but only if you equip your managers to, to, to do the same, to, to actually implement those policies in a way that, that works. So we're excited because in the month of February, we are having a series of in-person executive roundtables and breakfast workshops specifically for senior HR leaders in London. Um, so we have one on the future of leadership in law, that's for law firms only, um, on the 27th of February. And we have a breakfast workshop for building and leading a healthy workplace culture. That's on Thursday, 29th of February, again in London. And we also have the an executive roundtable, Understanding Racial Equity in the Workplace, on Tuesday, the 27th of February, all in London for the moment. So if you want to join us for those, we'd love to see you. So in the show notes, just go through there. There's a little simple form just to show your interest there. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at one of these events in February. 
speak to you soon, Rebels. Bye, Rebels. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn, the link will be in the show notes, and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.